0: follow him podcast this podcast is created by the boise nampa institute of religion for the church of jesus christ of latter-day saints here we hope to help young adults find relevant principles each week as they study the assigned come follow me scripture block as outlined by the church this episode is simply two institute teachers talking about what they see in the scriptures that might be relevant to your life it is not intended to speak for the church or to definitively define doctrines or policies any opinions shared here are just that, our opinions, as we have learned to come follow Him. I'm your host, Matt Swenson. Let's jump in. Welcome back, everybody. Uh, it's exciting to be with you again this week. Um, uh, really excited about our guest, uh, Brother Ryan Gottfordson uh, with us today. Welcome, brother. Thank you, it's good to be here. Good to have you, good to have you. Um, I, uh, am am excited to be in the last book of the Old Testament, not because I've not liked the Old Testament, but uh, we're going to the New Testament and it's coming. We've got a couple weeks of Christmas stuff coming in the next couple of weeks. In fact, next week, um, on this uh, podcast, we'll have an episode, uh, where we kind of cover the gap between the Old Testament and the New Testament. So looking forward to that next week, but, uh, but um, I'm really looking forward to, to diving into Malachi and what, uh what uh, the last prophet in the Old Testament has to say to us um, I know there's some wonderful things uh, even speaking about our day and, and some things that way so but before we jump in uh, Ryan tell us about you how, how would you introduce yourself to us
1: yeah thank you sure. I, I'm happy to be here this is exciting I have uh, been working for seminaries and institutes for the past 23 years sure. and, uh, mm-hmm. m- most of my well half of my career has been here in the Treasure Valley and, and other the other places we've we've been in Wyoming and mm-hmm. in Utah. Mm-hmm. It's part of uh, teaching, and I've got six kids, two of them on a mission right now. Cool. I'm excited about that. Where are they at? Got one in Paraguay and one in Guatemala. Wow. And one's coming home here in January. So wow. Fun for you. Life is life is moving, but uh, just have loved teaching the gospel to the youth. and. The young adults in my experience and I'm excited to talk about Malachi. Yeah,
0: yeah, I am too. You have a little bit different assignment with Seminary and Institute right now. Tell me about that a little bit.
1: Yeah, I, uh, I, I'm the principal of the Rocky and Centennial Seminary Programs and we're in the middle of just piloting some things for Salt Lake about uh, examining our workforce model in SNI and, and putting some teacher trainers and the assistant principals and some other levels of administration in place and
0: it's very cool. It's been great. Yeah, we were talking before we hit record that just about what you get to do, and it's yeah. pretty cool. Pretty it is cool great, great. So, well, wonderful. Well, take us in. Where would we start? Malachi, were 430 BC ish, somewhere in there. Does that sound about right? Yeah, 430
1: BC. He's, uh, you know, he's a he's a testament, or an Old Testament prophet, right before the intertestamental period of the sure. of the between the Old and New Testament. He's definitely speaking to a, a group of. People who have really uh, not only strayed from the covenants, but have really almost lost their belief that God even is there. Mm-hmm. They, they really are struggling with is he is he really a God of power? Is if he's going to redeem us, then we need to see some greater signs sure. and miracles. And so their their ability to worship him has really slipped. Mm. And he talks a lot about that in chapters one and two. You yeah. know, he he uh, recognizes that their offerings are blemished, yeah, and not pure.
0: Yeah, and it, and, and probably largely because you know taking it taking captive into Assyria for seventy years, they picked up a lot of the uh, false god things there, the Babylonian stuff that they gathered. You know, there's yep. there's all kinds of of things that they added into the worship series, and and uh, yeah, I think that. You know, all the prophets that we've been studying the last couple of months really um, mm-hmm. have been warning about really what's coming, and what Malachi's just about to say. Hey, we're there. Yeah, it's all it's all falling apart right now.
1: Yeah, yeah. And Malachi is uh, the only Old Testament prophet who is quoted in all four right of the standard works yeah. of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter Day Saints. Yeah,
0: yeah. That, that's a cool thing too. In it fact, is, it's it's it really cool. interesting. Um, the end of the Old Testament. The first chapter of Luke, the beginning of of the way that uh, Luke wrote, um, in Third Nephi, the end of the Book of Mormon, and the beginning of the Doctrine and Covenant. So the beginning and end of the dispensations is when we get Malachi quoted. That's exactly which is actually pretty cool. It
1: is pretty cool. In fact, I kind of want to start there if we can. I want to go. I want to go all the way back into Joseph Smith history if I could. Yeah. I think that there is. uh, the, the, the Savior teaches right from the very beginning about the gathering of Israel, mm. right? right? Right from the very first vision. Yeah. The, the gathering of Israel is on the Savior's mind, and of course it's on Malachi's mind. We'll, mm-hmm. we'll see that in the last chapter of Malachi. But one of the things that is important in the gathering of Israel, I think the Lord revealed to Joseph Smith in verse 19 of Joseph Smith history. He has the question, which church should I join? Sure. And we all know the answer, right? It says, I was answered that I must join none of them, for they were all wrong. And the personage who addressed me said that all their creeds were an abomination in his sight, mm-hmm. that those professors were all corrupt, that they draw near, m- near to me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: They teach for doctrines the commandments of men. And I think this is the important part. You're having a form of godliness, but denying the power thereof. Mm. And so I guess it kind of begs the question as to what, what, is, what is the Savior teaching there when he says that they deny the power? They have a form of godliness, but deny the power. This yeah. is really Malachi's day too, right? They yeah. had a yeah. form of godliness, but they too had denied the power mm. associated with becoming godly.
0: Yeah. Mm.
1: So if we can jump over to Doctrine and Covenants 84, I think the Lord gives a little bit of his his answer he answers kind of his own question <laughs> here a little bit. So we go to DNC 84 and we look at verses 20 through 22. Cool. What the Lord says about the power of godliness. He says therefore in the ordinances thereof the power of godliness is manifest. Hmm. And without the ordinances thereof and the authority of the priesthood, the power of godliness is not manifest unto men in the flesh.
0: Hmm.
1: Wherefore, without this, no man can see the face of God, even the Father, and live. Meaning that without the ordinances and the covenants that the priesthood offers, we cannot be bound to God or godly things. Yeah. So, you mentioned just a minute ago that then one of the one of the very first things Joseph learns after the first vision is taught by the angel Moroni.
0: Yeah, in his room.
1: And part of that revelation to Joseph by the angel Moroni was Malachi chapter four.
0: Yeah, talking about the hearts of the children, right? Yeah, talking about and the fathers, yeah. the
1: hearts of the children. So. Uh, Let's jump to Doctrine and Covenants 2, Perfect. if we can. I know, uh, I know we're, we're headed oh, hey, to Malachi, I, like I it. promise.
0: I like it. You know, I, I, just as we're turning there, I, I was thinking about how um, the power of godliness, really being the priesthood power and the ordinances that come with it, right? That, yeah. that uh, I was thinking back to when we were reading in Amos, um, that they had, so what is it, Amos chapter 2, verse 12, where they say, To the prophets, prophesy not. Mm-hmm. You know, not only did they, did they not quite know where to get God, they, those that were bringing God to them, they didn't want to listen to anymore. They were like, no, no, I don't, I don't want to do it that way. Um, you know, prophesy not the things that are hard for me to hear. Um, and so they were straight up just denying the power of godliness um, in their attempts to become whatever they thought they were becoming. Yeah. Yeah.
1: Well, and I think that's on Malachi's mind, right? He he wants to reestablish with the House of Israel the importance of a covenant with God. True, sure. they had strayed from that; they had lost, they had lost connection with prophets. Mm-hmm. They're going to lose connection for four hundred and thirty years. Yeah, right. Without a prophetic voice. Yeah. And uh, Malachi is very prophetic in the sense that the restoration of those ordinances is forthcoming. Sure. Unfortunately, not to the not to the Jews yeah and um, even with the Savior as he tries to establish that covenant mm-hmm. some will will come back but many many are still waiting for that day
0: well I'm excited to get there but but you think about all the covenants and the and the things that Malachi could have taught about baptism yeah. and, you know and things that are important and vital um, but he goes to the gathering he goes to the the hearts of the children and the fathers, and the you know we're going to get there. But but I just think it's cool that that he was thinking so big and so broad about what was needed. Obviously, baptism is part of that, right? But but once we get there, this is how we gather in all the rest of the family. Yeah. And that covenant, that uh, power of godliness is the one that really ties us all together in the end. And that he was that aware of it uh, even back then is pretty cool.
1: Yeah, it is. It is really really powerful. And don't don't let me forget, but let's definitely talk about the word "cursed" Kay. as we talk about Malachi. Yeah, cool. That the whole earth would be cursed without these blessings.
0: Cool. So take us Doctrine and Covenants chapter yeah, two, D&C section two? two.
1: So this is what Joseph learned from mm-hmm. the angel Moroni, and historically, this is section one of the Doctrine and Covenants. Yeah. Section right. one is a preface to the revelations. Yeah. And so you think about the Lord beginning to reveal a restored gospel on the earth. What's the most important message of that restoration? Mm -hmm. Malachi chapter 4. Yeah. Right. Right. So it says in here in chapter 2, though, and there is a wording difference Hmm. between Malachi and Doctrine and Covenants 2. Cool. So verse 1 says, Behold, I will reveal unto you the priesthood by the hand of Elijah, the prophet, before the coming of the great and dreadful day of the Lord. And he shall plant in the hearts of the children the promises made to their to the fathers, and the hearts of the children shall turn to their fathers. Hmm. If it were not so, the whole earth would be utterly wasted at his coming. Hmm. So maybe just to point out the wording difference, in Malachi it says, And he shall turn the hearts of the children to the fathers, and the heart of the children shall turn. Uh, the heart of the children to their fathers. Wait, let me read that one more yeah, time. <laughs> <laughs> he shall turn the heart of the fathers to the children and the heart of the children to their fathers, lest I come and smite the earth with a curse. Hmm. So the difference being is that in, in Doctrine and Covenants 2, we've got this idea of planting
0: huh.
1: and yeah. promises huh. that are not evident he in Malachi. He shall plant
0: in the hearts of the children the promises made to the father Yeah. Huh. Huh.
1: <laughs> So, in in D&C 27.10, it says, And also with Joseph and Jacob and Isaac and Abraham, your fathers, by whom the promises remain. Mm -hmm. So, we think about it in that context. He is going to plant in the hearts of the children the promises made to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. In the latter days, there will be a restoring of the the Abrahamic covenant upon yeah. God's children again.
0: Yeah, man, that's big. You know, I think, I think sometimes we think um, just about family history work. We think just about, well, I, I want to do family. It's planted in my heart that I want to do family history work. But I think really the, the wholeness of the gospel and the plan of salvation to get back and be with my family, um, to have those family structures exist in the next life, um, I think is really a, a part of that—that that, uh, the heart of my my heart being turned to my fathers is I want to be with my ancestors. I want to be with them more so than just I want to help sure make make sure they're there with us, right? Yeah. But I want to be with them, have those connect, familial connections forever. Yeah. Eternity.
1: It's a really powerful thing, isn't yeah. it? Yeah. Joseph Fielding Smith said something kind of interesting and I I just found this out today as I was studying this that uh, in 1844, the year of the martyrdom Mm -hmm. was the the year the first organization for the purposes of gathering together records of the dead and compiling genealogical records was formed Mm. so prior to 1844 there was no genealogical societies (laughs) or organizations
0: running down to the river baptizing whoever and hoping it got recorded somewhere (laughs)
1: <laughs> right, but even just in, in society in general. Oh, wow. Like, they, th- this wasn't just a, a church movement. Sure, yeah. There was no movement prior to the martyrdom. Yeah. Um, huh. That genealogy was a thing. They just didn't care about records. They didn't care. The only time that they would really go and, and look for an ancestral record was to show... Uh, a, a tie. A, a some tie familial somewhere. tie somewhere. Yeah, familial tie, usually because of land sure. or because of... You know, status or so
0: whatever. interesting that right when the prophet is martyred, that's when the rest of the world says, "Hey, genealogy might be a thing I'm interested in." Exactly. And what is it now, man? We've got huge organizations, massive, right? Yeah. Huh. Yeah.
1: It says in 1869, the city of New York started one, um, mm. and since that day, Joseph Fielding Smith said, like you said, they've sprung up everywhere. There's hundreds. Mm hundreds and big, big, yeah. big companies involved in trying to search out research. DNA research, all yeah. sorts of things have come about. Prophecy out.
0: fulfilled, right?
1: Prophecy fulfilled. That's really cool. Yeah, so the, the, the promises have really been yeah. planted in a way, I think, among God's children, not just in a church yeah. setting, but yeah. in a genealogical way of trying to find our ancestors yeah. and tie us back to them.
0: Yeah, it plant in the hearts of the children, all the children, yeah. not just those that are faithful and not just those that are that understand or know about the gospel, but all of God's children have that planted in their hearts. I, I think about, uh, I don't know, some cable network shows where they've got celebrities going and finding out about their ancestry and things like that, and you know, in, in, in the church. Uh, you and I understand the value of that search beyond just cool knowledge, right? You know, um, we understand the the eternal components of why that work needs to be done. But isn't it interesting that even the most famous among us see value in knowing about their ancestry and their history? Um, that, uh, like you, I love that you pointed that out. That uh, that that's been taught. That that. Man, that, that was not a thing 100 years ago, 150 years ago, right? That's just not what they thought. That's not who people wanted to spend their time studying. <laughs> it was yeah. just not an important thing, but it is now.
1: Maybe we kind of wish they did, right? Yeah, right. <laughs> it would have helped us a little now, right? <laughs> a little easier, but you even see the Lord hastening his work. I mean, look at all that's been done to put genealogy in the hands of every member of the church. Right. Just right within their pocket.
0: Yeah, man, Huge. Huge. Tell me this, and, and, and maybe you can answer this on the fly, maybe not. I um, had a student come up to me yesterday, I think, and said, uh, Brother Swenson, when, you know, when the Savior comes back um, and we're in the millennial state doing family history work, um, you know we know that there are a lot of records that we just won't be able to find on earth because you know, there's no, uh, there's no history of it. Um, people didn't keep records in certain places very good, and and uh, he said, how, how will we find all those names, those billions probably of names um, associated with uh, us and our, our ancestry, but but that maybe the records have been lost. Have you got a thought on that? I'm, I'm just throwing something at you without prepping you.
1: No, I, I'm grateful for the question. This again comes from Joseph Fielding Smith, and by, and by the way, those of you who are listening, this, this is coming from his writings called The Doctrines of Salvation. Yeah. Um, and he, he answers that very question. Uh, let me read to you. I, this, this is a little, little long, but I think it's interesting enough that it's worth the read. The, the title of this particular entry here is Spirit Beings Participate in the Work of Elijah. Huh? And he says, We go into the temples and are sealed for time and eternity and also perform like ordinances vicariously for our dead. Generation will be joined to generation as far as it is in our power to perform the labor. The obligation rests heavily upon us, and when we have exhausted all the information which we are able to Mm -hmm. obtain through our research and have obtained all the names of the dead within our power, we may be content. And then he quotes Brigham Young and says, During the millennium, (laughs) those on the other side will work hand-in-hand with those in mortality And will furnish the names of the dead, which we are unable to obtain through our research. And thus, every soul that is entitled to these blessings shall be ferreted out, and his work done for him. Mm. Mm. I think that's pretty powerful,
0: don't you? Just to think
1: that... And maybe, maybe the thought is, well, let's keep doing our genealogy because that might be one of the things that <laughs> triggers a millennial right, day. Yeah. we, we got to get to the end of the records we can find.
0: <laughs> no, but who's more motivated than those on the other side, right? That, hey, yeah. this is my name. <laughs> let's make sure that gets done, right? And that, yeah. and that they would be the ones helping to gather and make sure all the names are there and yeah. and present. And, man, that's that's powerful. I, that Kind of what I, what I told the student was I think that the... Savior in that day will have a stack of records for us to look at, and uh, he'll bring what was recorded in heaven that wasn't recorded on earth back to us. And it sounds like that, uh, that speaks right to that, that yeah. those on the other side are gathering those records and having, making sure they're there. It reminds me of a, uh, I don't know, I, I should should—I should know this. I, I just tried to look it up while you're reading that, but I just couldn't find it quickly. Uh, someone just recently, a uh, member of the quorum said something to the effect of, you uh, the, the number of temples we are building, and I'm paraphrasing, um, is directly in correspondence to the amount of missionary work done on the other side of the veil. And it just makes me think, you know, we see temples going up in these new countries and these new places and we, we're so grateful for the members of the church that now get to have their uh, their covenants uh, made there. But but it makes you wonder, you know, how how the temple work on the other side of the veil is going and the prep and the teaching and the, you know, for those that came from those areas of the world um, that have passed on, man, they're, they're ready for their temple work to be done. And uh, it needs to be in their own land maybe. So pretty cool. That's pretty cool.
1: That is cool. You know, Brigham Young went on to say, just added add this thought to what you're, te- you're sharing there. Uh, he said, I fully believe that many among the dead, those who are worthy, are even now engaged in compiling records <laughs> and arranging information huh if it has not been already done for this very purpose why should they not be so engaged
0: yeah. what else so, they got to do <laughs> yeah i think you're right yeah. they're over there oh, that's just cool. trying to get it
1: get it going get yeah. it organized so that it can be accomplished wow that's cool yeah
0: very cool man so. i love that i love the tie from uh, i love that you've tied the old te- the end of the old testament to the beginning of the restoration right that's, and, and that's yeah. really a, a powerful thing and and like i said i think that that's also what um, Luke did at the beginning of the New Testament, right? The new, the the uh, restoration of the church again in his day started with that same concept that this is the whole purpose of the gospel on earth is to gather the family together and have us all be connected and linked one to another. Yeah. Yeah, it's cool. It love is. that. Love it's
1: that. All about the family. Man. So powerful, isn't it?
0: Yeah, I love it.
1: Yeah. So, um, you know, one. One thing I did want to point out in both Malachi and Doctrine and Covenants, and we find this word in uh, in the other places where it's mentioned in, in the Standard Works, the word is turn. He shall turn the heart. Mm-hmm. It says that same phrase in the Doctrine and Covenants, right? Yeah. And the hearts of the children shall turn. Mm-hmm. Joseph Smith said that that word turn should be more maybe correctly translated into English as a ceiling. Oh. Or even the idea of a welding. Hmm. That there's a link hmm. that is created through this this ordinance
0: experience that's that really takes cool. place in the temple. Yeah, that's really cool. As opposed to me like, okay, I'll focus on that now and turn that direction. Yeah. It's a it's a connection to it that, that we, which is what we've been talking about, right? That, even the most famous among us, have a a welded connection to their ancestry that they didn't have before. Yeah, yeah, that's cool. I like that.
1: So, you know, that that kind of brings us to uh, the next verse in Doctrine and Covenants 2, which is mentioned in Malachi 4 as well. Uh, Malachi says, lest I come and smite the earth with a curse, Mm -hmm. and the Doctrine and Covenants adds, if it were not so, if this welding didn't take place, the sealing didn't take place, the whole earth would be utterly wasted Yeah. That is coming. Those are some pretty uh, heavy words there. I don't know what we would call those, but some pretty dire Man, yeah. warnings from a prophet that without these welding sealing covenants, the entire purpose of the creation of the earth is wasted.
0: Yeah, well, it's true, right? If interestingly you know there's a there's a lot of people um, I think that come from broken homes or homes where uh, parents were sealed uh, a parent passed away a new uh, a new husband or wife is brought into the family unsealed or sealed and it causes a lot of questions about well who am I sealed to and how am I how should I be sealed in and what what happens if I'm not sealed to my mom or my dad or uh, my wife uh, um, her, her birth father passed away when she was three months old in a car accident and her mom had been uh, sealed to uh, her husband in the temple and then about five years later she remarried uh, outside of the temple and uh, married a man, wonderful man um, but not in the temple. The first presidency said no, that, that's not needed and interestingly all of the children that they then had, the next five children that they had um, there's seven total. There were two born before uh, Mark passed away. Um, all five of those children um, were sealed to uh, my wife's mother and her uh, and her original marriage because that's the covenant that was under the covenant. So sealed to, to mom, maybe not necessarily to dad, but but that sealing. And so that always always concerned them, my my wife included. Just how does this work? And when we got married, we got married uh, in Las Vegas at the temple. I, have to, I always have to clarify, it was in the temple at, in Vegas, and uh, uh, we happened to have the uh, temple president was in uh, the ward down there, and and uh, he explained that ceiling, which I think goes back to that welding link, right? He explained that ceiling as kind of like a doily. If you've ever seen a doily where, you know, the relief site, he puts flowers on them in the in the relief site room. Uh, Elders Quorum never uses them. Right. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but uh, he explains it like the center ring on a doily is super important to the whole rest of the, the doily functioning. And if we consider the centering like Christ, every attachment that the strings are making to that centering, no matter how far away it is, is ultimately connected to the centering. And uh, as long as the family members of the earth are sealed in somewhere, and tied into that doily somewhere, what really matters is that you're being sealed to the Savior. Now there's all kinds of questions about marriage and who am I going to be married to in the next life if I've gotten married twice in this life. And, and, And I think Heavenly Father will work all those things out. But the sealing, that welding link, that ties the family of God together and the children of God together is that thing that's so important to us—that that, that uh, really is—without it, the earth, the purpose of the earth falls apart. There's why are we here if, if we're not sealing ourselves together to get back and be together? Then yeah,
1: yeah. That's cool. You know, for to use another verse here, the the MVP verse of all general conferences is <laughs> Moses one thirty-nine. Yeah, yeah. Right? For behold, this is my work and my glory to bring to pass the immortality and eternal life yeah. of man. So without those welding sealing covenants uh, without being sealed to God and and that eternal family unit. Yeah. His greatest desire is to give us this earth as an inheritance. Right. And he desires to give that inheritance to those who are sealed as husbands and wives yeah. in eternity. Yeah. So you can just I just feel, I, I just share this with you Matt, just so grateful that Elijah was sent yeah. in 1836 to the Kirtland Temple to restore these these
0: priesthood keys. Yeah, teach us why. Authority. Teach us why it's him. Why is it not Malachi? Or why is it not you know why why Elijah? Why did he? Why was he the one that needed to come back?
1: Yeah. Uh, again, I I think I was studying and. Uh,
0: I asked you because I knew you had studied I, something that. <laughs> I did, and I, I think it's right here, um, right here in
1: Joseph Joseph Fielding Smith's teachings again. But uh, the reason it was Elijah is because he he was the last one that held the sealing powers, huh. and so uh, you know everybody after him they. they the children of Israel had lost yeah. the sealing covenants, right? Mm-hmm. They'd lost the ability to be welded and sealed. And yeah. They had strayed from the covenant path to such a degree that they couldn't be redeemed through those covenant yeah. ordinances. And so...
0: Well, uh, and that speaks to the floundering that they were they were going through from yeah. the time that they were taken... before they were taken captive, really, but but that whole time period, right? That, yeah. That they're floundering around because there is no welding link. There's nothing tying them to each other. There's nothing helping them see the grand scope. Yeah. Um, and so they they floundered a little bit. Well, and we, know he comes,
1: we know he comes to the Mount of Transfiguration, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. And restores those keys to Peter, James, and John, along with the Savior yeah. and Moses. But even that dispensation didn't last long enough for those keys to right. to re- remain. And so he sent again in our time to
0: restore those keys. I was just looking up to see if I could figure out what year-ish... Elijah was. I wonder if we can find him quickly here. Yeah, Elijah
1: comes I guess what we would consider earlier on in the Old Testament, Uh right? Yeah. But I can't remember what year he kind of ends his prophetic ministry
0: either. Yeah, I just can't remember. Yeah, it's interesting that that just whatever that period of time was, right? that he uh, the, the the people the children of Israel really were without from that period on. Mm. Elijah uh, is 914 yeah. um, BC. So pretty much all the Old Testament books that are prophesying about the coming and destruction of uh, of uh, the children of Israel are yeah. are after. Elijah has come and you know, yeah. without those sealing powers anymore.
1: Kind of just before Isaiah's time and we know what he was prophesying and and uh, you know he's a kind of a contemporary little bit of Lehi mm. and Nephi and, yeah. and uh, we know that sealing power was given to Nephite prophets. Mm-hmm. If we go to mm-hmm. Helaman 12 we learn that Nephi later on in the book of Mormon was given sealing power. Right. So It was on the earth, but not among the Jews and not among that that covenant part of the house of Israel. Yeah, yeah. So that is why Elijah is sent back to restore those keys. Makes
0: sense. Very cool. Thank you for teaching that.
1: Yeah, you bet. Um, Hey, let's go to, this is kind of interesting. So here we are talking about sealing power. We're talking about welding links. We're talking about individual's desire to find family members, which I think is all part of what we would consider the spirit of Elijah. Mm-hmm. Whether that is in their mind, temple work or not, a lot of people are doing right. genealogy. Yeah. And I think that is part of the preparation for a millennial work. And But if you look at Malachi 4, verse 1, interesting where Malachi kind of starts this chapter and speaking about a, a latter day. Mm-hmm even speaking about the second coming of Christ, it says, For behold, the day cometh that shall burn as an oven.
0: Hmm.
1: And all the proud, yea, and all that do wickedly, shall be stubble. Hmm. And the day that cometh shall burn them up, saith the Lord of hosts, that it shall leave them neither root nor branch. Hmm. And I've always wondered why the Lord in that Revelation to Malachi talks about the cleansing of the earth as a tree without roots or branches. Yeah. Interesting that one of the things we do if we go to any kind of genealogical site and we look up the way our family's organized, sometimes referred to family tree. As a tree. Isn't that kind of cool? Yeah. You know, our, our roots, I guess we would consider our our ancestors, yeah. right? Those that have come before to provide life huh. for me and you hmm. and the branches being what comes from us. Yeah. You know, and the and the children and the posterity that comes after. I think we see this experience when a husband and wife are sealed in the temple. I remember this being a significant mm-hmm. part of my sealing in the temple to my wife. We got married in the Portland, hmm. Oregon temple and Uh, When we had been sealed and the sealer asked us to stand up and come around to the same side of the altar together and just look in those mirrors and anybody who's not been in the temple in that sealing setting, there's two mirrors and they're angled at such a degree that you can see in kind of an endless mirror
0: Mm -hmm. effect where... Mm -hmm
1: the reflection of one enhances the other and so on and you can kind of see off into e- eternal use, eternal the mirror, use, right? <laughs> right but you know if you think about what I, or Malachi is teaching here that boy if if we don't have individuals in a day when the Savior returns who are mm. whose hearts are turned to him and a desire to be sealed mm. or covenanting with him they're mm. going to be cut yeah they're going to yeah. be cut and uh I think one of the saddest verses in all scripture is in DNC one thirty-two, mm. where it talks about those whose marriages are not made under the priesthood authority yeah. and the sealing the sealing power that Elijah restored. So
0: yeah, you're right. that the, 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 they're well. You're reading. You're getting there.
1: We're getting there. I like it. Yeah, I just think these are the two saddest words in verse 17. It says, These angels did not abide my law, therefore they cannot be enlarged, but remain separately and singly, without exaltation in their saved condition to all eternity, and from henceforth are not gods, but are angels forever and ever. Mm
0: -hmm. And interesting about that, Yeah. uh, you know, I don't know why this would be the case, but But we know in the celestial kingdom that's broken down into three different degrees, and and we haven't really been taught much about the lower two degrees there, only that in order to obtain the highest degree, a man must be sealed to his spouse, right? Yeah. And and vice versa. Um, But something about that verse that you just read makes me think there will be some who choose not to be sealed, who are righteous in the celestial kingdom, and, and being in that space just still don't have that, whether it's a desire or, or what it is. Um, be, and, and really, because in order to become like my father in heaven, I have to be able to have the things he has. And I. in order to know maybe all the things, I need to have a spouse that can help me learn all the things that are feminine, right, as a, as a man. And, and I don't know that there's any doctrine in that, but, but man, I really hope that that's true. I really hope that as I become one with my spouse, um, she's the reason I can learn all the things that I couldn't know as a man. Yeah. And I'm the reason she can learn all the things you know, maybe there's a way for us to experience all things feminine, you know, God being fully capable and knowledgeable about all things. Maybe, maybe he's had some experiences that helped him learn what childbirth was like. Or maybe his wife, who is a perfect feminine God, says to him, hey, this is how this is, and he learns perfectly from her. Yeah. Uh, maybe not, maybe not, but, but man, I, I just hope my, my oneness with my wife becomes like that. Yeah, me too. Yeah. Me
1: too. Well you know, back to my back to my sealing experience, we, we kinda went down a little rabbit hole yeah, there. <laughs> <laughs> but uh I I do remember the sealer saying to me and her, if you look at your reflection, you stare at you, that's all you see.
0: Yeah.
1: And he said, you know, look at I know they said, I know this isn't gonna be hard to do, but look at her. Uh-huh. And that wasn't hard to do. She looked beautiful <laughs> that day, but when I looked at her, you know, it was very easy to see that that's how that reflection grew. Yeah. I guess my point in just bringing all that up is that uh, there is such a blessing at knowing that family can be eternal. Yeah. Some of Heavenly Father's children won't, won't choose that. And, and the, the consequences of that are being cut off from roots and branches of having right. eternal progression. And right. That's the importance of trying to preach. Teach, testify the gospel of Jesus Christ that has been restored. That's and right. That's right. It like reminds- you, like you taught that there's a, there's a plan for all of His children, and that includes trying to help them understand these truths as best we can. Yeah,
0: I was just reminded that, um, as you said that, that Elder McConkie once said that the promises made to fathers include the promise that family organizations would continue into eternity. Mm-hmm. You know, we, we, I think if you if you really get down into the weeds and you start thinking, okay, when I'm in the next life, who's my dad? Is my dad gonna be my dad or is my dad gonna be my brother? Because before we came here, my, <laughs> right, we get all kinds of wonky in the weeds. Yeah. And if God and, and my dad are standing next to each other, who do I call dad, and, right? But somehow, those familial connections that we have on earth will remain and be in force there um, for our extended family and, and whatnot. Uh, I just hope we don't have to live in the same mansion. You know that if I have to live in the same mansion with my brother, and, my, and his, and all of his, and ah, I don't know. <laughs> Grateful there's the promise of many right, mansions. Right, many mansions. That's right. <laughs> well, very awesome. cool. Anything else in in Malachi you want to point us to? Well, you know that's really where my heart was. Yeah, and I love it. I, I would just maybe say and
1: and uh, maybe in conclusion here that. It's one thing to have a temple marriage, but it's an entirely different thing to have an eternal one. Mm.
0: Mm.
1: And I think sometimes we might preach or teach that the goal is to have a temple marriage, and there's nothing wrong with that. Mm-hmm. It's very important to have a temple marriage. But the real desire is for that marriage to be sealed in a way that that marriage can be eternal. Yeah, We learn in other verses of Scripture that that would be the... Holy Spirit of Promise that seals all covenants made with Heavenly Father. Yeah. And uh, w- without that sealing, without the seal of the Holy Spirit of Promise, then even hmm. temple marriages we we learn in Doctrine and Covenants one thirty two also won't won't remain. Yeah. Right? They won't be sealed. Yeah. And so I just am am very grateful for that understanding too that. Uh, I know some struggle with with marriage, and i've I've dealt with a lot of people who have struggled with marriage, and I've seen some of them just be so faithful through that struggle yeah and I just think you know it's heaven will bless them, heaven will strengthen them, yeah, to have those sealing someday a sealing blessing that can be eternal and yeah, I'll just share with you that you know my my marriage is. Struggled at times, mm-hmm. and I don't know that anybody's marriage doesn't doesn't right yeah right. And so learning to learning to be faithful, I think salvation is such an individual experience, yeah. but exaltation is a is a together
0: experience with our spouse. Yeah. And reminds me of uh, you know when we studied Hosea, um, just the amount of times the Lord was willing to to go back to Gomer and say, I love you, come back. Yeah. I'm your, I'll be your husband forever. You know, that, that concept, and I don't know that that's painting how I should be with my spouse if they're cheating on me and things like that, right? But, but, uh, but just that uh, divine love yeah. that we should have for our spouse and, and we should, and we really should try to seek to develop more than we probably had when we got married. Um, and I think over the course of years of marriage, uh, it becomes deeper and much more meaningful as you go through the struggles and the trials, I think it it causes a different kind of love to to emerge and really to blossom. Um, that's beautiful and, and forgiving and and uh, aware of faults and weaknesses and, and isn't just blind love mm. that maybe I started my marriage with a little bit. Yeah. But, uh, well, can I share a, a, just a couple of verses that I, I loved at the end here and then I'd love to share ask, ask you one more question before we close here. Uh, the end of Malachi 3, I think, really sets up what we've talked about today, um, about uh, the hearts of the children being turned. And, and this is speaking about um, the uh, restoration of the church right before the, the coming forth of, the, of Christ at the end. It says in verse 16, Malachi 3, Then they that feared the Lord spake often one to another, and the Lord hearkened and heard it. And a book of remembrance was written before him for them that feared the Lord and that thought upon his name. I kind of wonder if this is on the other side of the veil, that they've talked often of him and said, how's this gonna work for us? And they wrote up the book and they take it to the Lord, like here's my book, right? This is me in it. Maybe like we talked earlier. Then verse 17, and they shall be mine, saith the Lord of hosts, in that day when I make up my jewels and I will spare them as a man spareth his own sons that serveth him. Then the last verse of chapter 3, verse 18, Then shall ye return and discern between the righteous and the wicked, between him that serveth God and him that serveth him not. Isn't that really um, the, the purpose of the temple work? So that God can fairly come and discern between all of his children and that the Savior can look upon each of us, having all received the same opportunity uh, to, to have the covenants necessary to return to God, but then to look on our uh, our willingness um, and to discern between him that serveth God and him that serveth him not. Um, if anything indicates to me that we have a little bit of responsibility in our salvation, it's that verse right there. Did I serve God or did I not? And uh, but how wonderful that, that the hearts of our current living people on earth are being turned so that the plan can really be worked out for all of, all of God's children. I love that. Thank you. This has been wonderful. Will you just tell me, if you could, if you had the ear of all the young adults and all the youth and young adults of the church right now, what is one thing, and, I, and again, I'm calling you out on something here, I just want to, you, you know, no prep. Uh, what is one thing you would want them to know what is one thing you would want to teach them tell them help them understand
1: i I really appreciate that i I think about this often and uh, I was thinking about it just the other day as I was listening to elder Uchtdorf and his most recent conference talk in October of 2022 and I think he I think he gave the answer that's deeply in my heart not my mind uh, as, as he was speaking to them and, and let me pull this up here and I'll just read maybe just a couple things that he shared. Um, the section of his talk is entitled, The Savior's Message to You. And he says, my, my dear young friends, if the Savior were here right now, what would he say to you? I believe he would start by expressing his deep love for you he might say it with words, but it might just flow so strongly from His presence that it would be unmistakable, reaching deep into your heart and feeling your whole soul. Mm. That, to me, i that's what I feel, I just, I feel so strongly to testify as often as I can of the Savior, of that love that He has, i mm. I really feel that, you know, burning in my bones that if I could just teach and testify of something, that would mm. be it how much he loves us
0: yeah what a beautiful what a beautiful sentiment Uh, a thing that I think anyone can feel at any time Um, I don't know that the Lord waits to give that feeling very much very often I think he uh, if you want to feel it if you want to seek it it maybe requires a little bit of digging into scriptures a little bit just to indicate I'm interested but a uh, broken heart, a contrite spirit, a little bit of effort, and I think the, the Lord wants us to feel that. And like Elder Uchtdorf said, maybe not spoken, just felt. Just felt. right? Brother Gottfriedson, this has been great. Thank you so much for your efforts in preparing, and, and I hope you'll come back and be with us again. Would love to. Okay, Thanks for having me. Of course. Thanks, brother.